Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. Today, I have a very special guest with me to introduce to all of you, my former boss, uh, Dato Sri Kalimullah Hassan, who also happens to be uh, the East chairman of ECM Libra, a public listed company based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Dato Sri Kalimullah began his career as a journalist in 1979 in Penang before going on to work with big news agencies such as Singapore Straits Times and Reuters. He was a correspondent and journalist till 1995, after which he decided to venture into the business world. It was in 2002 that he and his two partners started a boutique investment advisory firm, which later evolved, which later evolved four years later into ECM Libra Investment Bank. He remains as a non-executive chairman of the group, which is now an investment holding company owning a chain of hotels together with their long-term partners, Airline Air Asia owners. Tony Fernandez and Cameroodin Maranum. Besides leading his own company, some of Dato Sri's notable gigs in the past include being appointed chairman of the Malaysian National News Agency um, Ernama in September 22, 2002 and in January 24 as the editor-in-chief EEIC of Malaysia's oldest newspaper the, uh, the New Straits Times Press for Heart. After leaving the EEIC post in 2005, Dato Sri Kalimula remained as the deputy chairman of the newspaper to December 31st, 2008. Since then, he has authored a book titled The Malaysia Dead Bee, which was published in 2015. So without further ado, let's bring Dr. Sri Kalimullah to the show and ask him how he transitioned himself from a journalist to a high-flying corporate person he is today. So hi, Dr. Sri. Uh, thank you so much for bearing with me with that long introduction. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Awesome. Let's dive right into the question. So Dr. Sri, um, can you just tell me like what got you started into journalism? in 1979 like why did you pick that as your first your career yeah, well you know uh since i was a kid i've always been interested in journalism you, you know when uh, I, I do not know about your time but our time we had to fill in this uh, um, cards where we put down uh, your three career choices and uh, my three career choices were lawyer, uh, a journalist, and a doctor. Uh, so uh, what inspired me to, uh, as, uh, to want to become a journalist was, uh, I think, uh, uh, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, uh, because I read their book, uh, All the President's Men. Uh, I was quite an avid reader of books in those days. Uh, not anymore. You know how they uh, uncovered the Watergate scandal and all that. So every young kid of that time, uh, I think, uh, who read that book wanted to be a scandal-exposing journalist. So after my uh, secondary school education, I applied for jobs in several uh, news organizations, not many in those days. Uh, I, got, I was rejected by the Straits Times and I was rejected by the Star and finally, I got a job in the National Echo, a Penang-based newspaper. Uh, and that's how I started my career in journalism. And from them, I moved on to uh, uh, six months later to the Star and uh, subsequently to the uh, Reuters and Straits Times, Time magazine for a while, for two years, uh, and, and then to Singapore Press Holdings, after which I left journalism and went into business. Awesome. So what was your beats? Um, what did you cover when you were a journalist? Uh, initially, uh, it, it was, you know, uh, all journalists in our time had to do court reporting first because that's where you're supposed to uh, report, uh, learn how to report, uh, 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 you know, 
accurately because if you make a mistake in court reporting, then uh, you you get into huge trouble. So from court, and I went on to cover the, the defense industry, and uh, eventually I started uh, specializing in political reporting, and uh, th- that uh, that's where I made my name as a journalist and uh, covering politics in Malaysia. Awesome. So it took you close to probably 20, 30, 20 years before you decided to dabble into journal, uh, bis- to, into business, right? Correct. About okay. close to 18 years. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So why, why, decide, why uh, change, uh, switch careers? You know, were you fed up of journalism or you just wanted a new challenge? Well, you, you know, um, as time grew, uh, by 1995, I had uh, four kids. Uh, and as you know very well, journalism is not a well-paying job. Uh, while I enjoyed, I had job satisfaction, um, but still uh, I wanted to give my kids a much better life than I had. Uh, and I realized that the only way was uh, to go uh, into a better paying career. And uh, fortunately, uh, at that time, I was offered, uh, I was headhunted uh, uh, by a one of the big headhunting firms, Russell Reynolds, to have a corporate job uh, in KL. Uh, and I joined uh, uh, CB, which was uh, owned by Tantri Dr. Chen Lip Kiong, uh, where he put me in charge of a college and uh, a newspaper in Cambodia. Uh, and that's how I started my business career in 1995. So it was moonlighting while you were in a job or was it completely you left the career and then you started a business? Oh, I, yeah, I left. I resigned from uh, my last job, which was in the Singapore Straits Times, Singapore Press Holdings, in '95, and joined Country uh, uh, Chen Lip Kiong. Okay, so tell me, Dato, when the when you were trying to do the sorry, Dato Sri, when you were doing the transition, did you have any buffer money or like you know you um I also ask this to all entrepreneurs, you know, when they want to go into the business world because it's a you know you do, it will take some time before you make money. But how did how did you approach this um, uh, new career venture? Did you go in with a, a chunk of money that you've saved up just in case if it doesn't work out or do you speak to your old bosses and say look I want to try this out if it doesn't work out I'll go back to you oh no no it was a clean break. And uh, like I said, when I joined Tantri Chen, I was an employee. Uh, I was not an entrepreneur. But uh, it gave me the opportunity to learn uh, uh, things from uh, uh, running the college and running the newspaper in Cambodia. Uh, the Cambodia. Uh, I left after two years Tantri Chen to start my own business with the uh, uh, few partners. Unfortunately, that uh, business did not do too well. Uh, and I lost quite a lot of, uh, I mean, almost all my savings. Uh, and, yeah, when the financial crisis came in 98, uh, I had lost all my money. Uh, so I had to start all over again. What business was that? Is it banking or something? No, else? no, it was, uh, uh, it was a, a development. So, you know, as you, uh, we were planning to set up uh, oil tank farms. It was a business I was not familiar with. Uh, but I was a small investor, only 10%. Uh, still, I put my money in and lost everything. Um, but uh, during that time, I was on the board of a, a brokerage firm, uh, which belonged to a friend of mine. And he put me on the board of his asset management company. And that gave me the opportunity to learn uh, uh, a lot of things about asset management uh, and securities uh, uh, and I was on, this, on the board of uh, this company for about uh, 
six years maybe uh, uh, until we started our own company, ECM Libra. Okay, so tell us about the... Uh, so ECM took some time from 1995. It took like maybe seven to eight years before it started, uh, before you yeah, had the idea seven, to start it. Seven years, yeah. Okay, so what about... How did that come about? You were sitting down with some friends and they say, okay, let's pull our ideas together, I mean, resources together and start this. Uh, well, it was the other way around. My, my two partners, whom I've known for uh, quite a long time, um, and... Uh, one day, uh, it was in uh, Bangsa in uh, Davis. We were having an early breakfast uh, and then they said to me, they said, why, why don't we team up? He said, you have got uh, uh, relationships, you know a lot of people and the two of us uh, uh, know a lot of people in the financial services. We've been involved in financial services for a long time. I think the three of us will make a very good team. Uh, I hesitated uh, and I said, I want time to think about it. Um, uh, but Eventually, I, I decided that, you know, uh, yeah, uh, it's an industry I'm not unfamiliar with. Uh, I've been there on the board of uh, TA Securities, TA Enterprise, uh, TA Asset Management, TA Unit Trust for about six, seven years. I said, I've learned some things. I said, let's, okay, let's give it a shot. So that's how we started uh, ECM Libra. So then um, how did you go about it? Because like those days, right, how do you start a bank? Like investment, what is the investment like? Who do you hire? What do you do first? Do you get a bank license? Uh, well, it was, uh, you know, when we started in 2002, uh, the Labuan Offshore Financial Services Authority, LOFSA, was actively encouraging people uh, with a financial uh, services background to set up investment investment advisory companies and banks in Lab One. Uh, so we it required a capitalization of 10 million ringgit. Um, and um, I put in my savings plus I borrowed some money to put in my share of uh, the uh, to capitalize the bank. And we started off as an offshore investment bank in Labuan uh, from 2002. And, it's, uh, and several years later, when Bank Nagara invited companies with track record to apply for an onshore investment banking license, we applied. Uh, we went through several rounds of rigid uh, wetting uh, and uh, we were one of, if I'm not mistaken, one of six uh, in uh, groups which were given an onshore banking license to operate out of Kuala Lumpur. Okay, so 2000, how does this um, offshore lab one works? What do you give money to? How do you make business from that? Well, basically, you book the deals offshore in lab one, but you can operate out of KL. Uh, and there was strict vetting, of course, by Lofsa and Bank Nagara. Um, it works the same way as an investment bank in KL, except that your your bank is based out of Lab One instead of uh, uh, in Kuala Lumpur. So got it. So it's just it's a virtual office there, right? But you work out of KL, right? No. Yeah, I lost Hi, you. Yes, that's three. Uh, it's a virtual office in Lab One or what? Uh, no, we had actually a physical office with one staff in Lab One, um, and. Uh, we used to go there uh, every quarter uh, to have a, a board meeting, a physical meeting. Um, and uh, But it was only for a few years. And finally, we, uh, when we got our onshore banking license, we uh, wound up the Labuan uh, 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 Investment Bank. 
since then, they have become very strict because I think there were people who used uh, offshore bank other purposes, like, you know, uh, uh, laundering money and stuff like that. I think there were a couple of uh, uh, big scandals there. Uh, and eventually now, I think you don't hear of uh, uh, offshore banks in Labuan uh, very much. Okay. So you were, at the time, you were pretty lucky that you got that. So what was the hurdles in starting the investment bank? Was it talent um, or the yeah. capital se- seemed quite easy for you to pull through? Did you get have the issues with that? No, no, not really a problem because, uh, I, I mean, uh, when we started the, uh, our investment advisory services and all that, we, we did quite well uh, because uh, I think my two partners as well, uh, quite well known in the banking industry, in the financial services industry. So we pooled our resources and we uh, got uh, you know people we knew in the corporate sector to, and we did deals for them, um, restructuring and um, stuff like that. Um, I mean, the early days were not easy because uh, we literally had to go and beg people to give us a chance. Uh, Even hiring people to work with you? No, no, to beg people to give us deals. So we made our money from the deals that we did in the early years. And subsequently, when we got our onshore banking license, uh, we decided that the only way we could compete with the bigger banks was to get the best people. So we hired uh, actually really uh, good people, gave them share options. Uh, give them uh, uh, good salaries and being a new company I think there was a, a lot of energy there uh, so we, we we did quite well you know in fact uh, uh, a lot of the people that uh, who started with us have gone on to uh, really really big jobs uh, in Kazana in uh, CIMB in MIDF in uh, a lot of uh, overseas financial institutions I mean one of our staff is now the managing director of Deutsche Bank in Hong Kong um, so they, they were good people uh, and they did well for us and they went on to do very well with their own lives so tell me who was your first client where you've already like come off to KL and you've done everything who was the one who gave you your first break well, our first client was uh, Datu Ishak Ismail of uh, and uh, KFC and uh, uh, Tantri Tajirin Ramli of uh, Salcom. Uh, because uh, Tajirin Ramli uh, and my uh, senior partner Ken On, uh, they had known each other and Ken On had been advising him for uh, probably about a decade when he was the... Airlines, and so he, he actually gave Ken on a chance rather than me or David Chua, the other partner. Uh, so we we did uh, uh, some work for Tantri Tajirin Rabli and Ishak Ismail. They were our first clients, and uh, well, the deal with Ishak did not finally go through, but he paid us our fees. Uh, but the Tajirin Rabli deal went through, and that's how uh, we started. Uh, uh, our first deals subsequently okay. we went on to do other things yeah awesome and then later on you went and listed your company right um, uh it was yeah three years later we or two years later we listed it in 2004 so when you started the company um when the time they approached you in davies and the time you went back and thought about it and then you said yes to them eventually was there like a business plan how does how did that work like that part of it like or you just 
went in and then figured everything out. I mean, it would have been stupid if we did that. You know, <laughs> of course, of course, we had a plan. Uh, uh, if I was going to put in my life savings into it after having been wiped out in 1998, I had to be sure that it was a, a workable. Uh, Plan. So we we actually discussed uh, what we would do and stuff like that. We had a business plan, but of course, along the way, you know, when opportunities come, you try to uh, you amend, uh, you change, and you go for the other opportunities. Uh, some were successful, some were not. So, but yeah, we had a plan, uh, and uh, I think we did uh, quite well in the initial years. Uh, uh, we started the first probably uh, seven, eight years. I mean, one of our biggest breaks was uh, uh, Asia with Tony Fernandez. We approached him uh, to uh, ask him whether we could, uh, he was talking about this thing Asia. We asked him whether we could get the opportunity. Then he looked at us and he laughed. And he said, uh, you know, you, you guys are new kids on the block. He said, what can you do? Uh, so we sat down with him. We told him, you know, uh, uh, when you started your airline, you started it with one ringgit. Uh, and uh, whoever thought that you uh, would be a success coming from the music industry. Actually, it was Brendan who introduced... Uh, uh, me to Tony Fernandez uh, because Brandon is related to Tony and, uh, and Tony said okay he said uh, uh, the good thing about Tony was he said okay I'll give you a chance he said let's see what you can do so we worked together with Credit Suisse and uh, uh, of course uh, 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 as it turned out the, uh, we did a successful road show for Tony all over the US and UK and Europe uh, together with Credit Suisse and we listed Asia for him and that uh, basically, uh, brought our uh, made made our name like, you know because we we it was uh, 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 oversubscribed but many times Asia uh, and all those who bought uh, uh, subscribed to it at the time they all made money uh, so that was our really one major major break uh, uh, for us uh, so yeah that's how we. Uh, those are some of the deals I remember very fondly. What about the um, the the listing of ECM Libra? Was that part of your uh, plan when you when you first got together, or just uh, something? The what? That you Sorry, had? you're listing the company. Listing the company was it part uh, of the plan or something that just happened? Uh, well, eventually, of course, we wanted to list the company, but uh, you know, you had to have a track record to list it. Uh, so fortunately, the first few years we did quite well, and we used that to do. Uh, I mean, you, wait, wait, there are a lot of advantages of listing uh, because then you can raise capital and uh, uh, fund your business and expand. Uh, so we we did a reverse takeover of a ailing company which belonged uh, to. Tantri Azman Hashim, uh, South Peninsula Industries. Uh, it, uh, it was losing money, so we injected ECM Libra into it and did a reverse takeover and listed it. And that's how Tantri Azman was uh, uh, one of the uh, substantial shareholders in ECM Libra when we listed it. Uh, so that's how uh, it, it was in the plan, but we didn't expect uh, it to come uh, in three years down the road after we started. Like I said, you know, when the opportunities come, you take advantage of it. You, you try to... I mean, there were some we succeeded, like uh, the listing. Some we didn't succeed. Okay. So tell me, Datusri, what is this ECM Libra about? Like, 
why did you decide on this name, Libra, especially? Well, uh, Libra was my partner's original company, uh, which he started in Hong Kong in 1993. Uh, ECM stands for Equity Capital Markets. So we decided to call it uh, ECM Libra because we merged with my with Canon's uh, company Libra, which already had a track record in financial services. So that's how we call it ECM Libra. Awesome. All right. Um, I just wanted to ask you, um, is there a set recipe in choosing business partners? Because a lot of people, they go and get into partnerships and sometimes it turns really sour after a few years. But... You also have, uh, stand the test of time. So what are some of the criteria you look into before you start partnering with a, a person to start a business? Yeah, over the years, uh, I, I've gone into uh, other businesses uh, with other partners and all that, but I find that uh, ultimately uh, it's someone you know well, someone you have learned to trust as a friend, um, someone who has got a reputation of being honest, uh, uh, that's the best because you know a lot of people come to you with business proposals and plans and all that and normally you don't know a lot of these people uh you uh, some people get greedy because they think oh i'm going to make a lot of money and that's why they start losing their money so in my case i knew both my partners for quite some time uh and uh, they had very good reputations in the industry not uh they didn't have a reputation as crooks or, you know, someone who goes into a grey area and all that. So that part of it, I was very comfortable. The question was, do I dump my money in into a business uh, and uh, am I sure that I'm going to get out of it again? So I said, I take the risk because firstly, I've got two good partners, honest guys, uh, uh, and all three of us trusted each other. And secondly, we all had uh, knowledge of the industry uh, of course, my two partners were more knowledgeable because they had been there for a much longer time and had worked for uh, really uh, big companies like Accenture, Merrill Lynch. Uh, um, uh, before we, we teamed up, uh, Hong Leong, they were both CEOs of Hong Leong. Um, so uh, I think that's a very important criteria, choosing people that you know and you, whom you trust. That's very important. Okay. So, okay, now you've uh, um, evolved. The company is no longer, uh, you, you told me just now, you sold the investment part of the business and the company is now in a different trajectory, right? So what was the idea? Why, why, why that? Why the shift? Well, the, the industry became very uh, competitive and uh, we did have the balance sheet to uh, eventually because, you know, uh, things became more uh, uh, bigger. You needed a big balance sheet to go and do big deals and all that. And our, we didn't have it. So when uh, uh, we were offered to sell the investment bank and eventually our unit uh, trust and asset management side of it uh, to Kanana, which actually had the balance sheet, which was uh, uh, had the biggest uh, 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 Securities, uh, the brokers uh, 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 in the industry. So we, 
we said they pay they're paying us good money good multiples uh, we sell it and uh, then that's when uh, we, after selling it we decided to buy into tune hotels of which we were already partners both me and Canon uh, together with Tony and Cameroon so we bought over and we took control of tune hotels uh, which at that time uh, at hotels uh, we had five hotels in UK and uh, uh, we had hotels in Australia in Thailand in Manila uh, so we bought it over and uh, it was losing money uh, tune hotels was losing money so we bought it over and we downsized it and uh, now we are uh, running it ourselves although Tony and Kamaruddin are still partners so uh, then we also invested in Absom College which belonged to Tony Fernandez uh, we took a, a, a stake there uh, and we, we used the money that we got from selling the bank and asset management to invest in uh, other businesses how is the business doing now especially with corona is it uh... well um, <laughs> i think uh, for uh, for us we are all in the wrong kind of businesses like <laughs> uh, education uh, is affected by the covid hotels are badly badly affected by the covid um, but you know, um, these are tests that we have to go through. Uh, so I, th- I think uh, once uh, borders open up, once uh, tourism opens up, and um, uh, our school will do well, and uh, our hotels also will, will go back to making money for us. Uh, the the trick is to last out this period because we do not know how long these uh, COVID restrictions are going to carry on. Although the encouraging sign is that uh, most countries are opening up uh, economic activity. So uh, we can see a little bit of an uptick in uh, bookings in our hotels and um, pick up in uh, the businesses. But uh, uh, we are uh, still losing money. Let's see how it goes. I think we should, uh, if uh, everything goes well, then I hope hope by sometime next end of next year we should come out of it and start doing okay again so you're still uh, pulling through lah with you using um your like you know your own money to survive at the moment or uh, we are, we're not in dire straits i think we have been very uh prudent and thrifty over the years uh we have uh practically no bank borrowings um uh, almost uh uh, zero um, and uh, so we, we can survive uh, but if it goes on for another two years three years then we'll have to decide what to do because I, I don't think that uh, our resources are unlimited we, 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 we to decide what to do if uh, this uh, COVID doesn't go away. Okay, Dato, I want to take you back. Sorry, Dato Sri, I want to take you back to the time when you were in Davies Corner, right? When they approached you and then you mm. said you wanted to go back to think about it. Um, I just was wondering, like, why didn't you decide on doing something like a simpler business? But then you, you know, despite everything you went through, you still went ahead with these two guys. What was that turning point? Do you still remember? Yeah. You asked me why, do, why did I not start a restaurant? What do I know about restaurants? <laughs> I, okay. I, I mean, at least this was a business that I knew something about. Uh, and I had two partners who were quite uh, well regarded in the industry. So uh, if uh, it was something that none of us knew anything about, then uh, I, I definitely wouldn't have gone in. I mean, just like uh, uh, any other thing, you, you want to go into something that you're familiar with. If you uh, have been working in a mama restaurant, uh, I mean, I was with the owner of Caillou last week uh, I was having a chat with him he just finished his seven six and he was working in a restaurant and he saw how you know uh, if he uh 
manage quality control and uh, uh, he, he would do well. And look at him, he's got a chain of uh, Caillou restaurants throughout the country, even in Melbourne and he even opened up in London uh, uh, and all that because he grew up in the industry. He knew about the industry and so the, 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 that's how he did it. So he's a very successful man. I really admire him for somebody uh, who didn't finish his secondary education. His children have done very, very well. They are uh, uh, all doctors uh, and uh, uh, working in Ireland and UK. So uh, he told me that he never dreamed that uh, he could give his children an education in UK and that he could own a flat in UK or flat in Melbourne. Uh, He's he's done very well because he knew what he was uh, doing. So some advice that you can impart to journalists wanting to quit the profession and start their own business. Because the last time I read your, I used to read your articles in the NST and you said when you started out, you only earned like what, 70 bucks? uh, Less than 100 bucks a month or something like that? Uh, 235 ringgit, uh, out of which my take home was maybe uh, minus my EPS and stuff like that probably about 170 180 uh, that's how I started I mean uh, to me uh, journalism was a very satisfying job uh, it was probably the job where I was happiest in uh, but uh, eventually the realities like you know I wanted to give my my family a better life uh, 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 give them a, a very good education which I think uh, uh, I, I managed uh, to give them a good education uh, and they're all pretty solid and well-grounded so my advice to journalists would be look I mean if you're happy in your job money is not everything uh, then you get your job satisfaction I know a lot of journalists who have retired uh, uh, like Rudy Beltran was uh, I don't know whether you remember him uh, he was my neighbor until a couple of weeks ago when I moved to another place uh, he was my neighbor he was a uh, crime editor of uh, New Straits Times. He is happy. He's 80 plus years old now. He looks back to his life as a journalist very fondly. But of course, if you're not happy in your job and you want to uh, quit the profession, you want to start your own business, I think do something that you are uh, familiar with. Find partners, especially those who can help you, who are familiar with the business that you want to start. I think that's the best advice I can give because uh, you know opportunities come uh, all the time. It's a question of whether you... Re- recognize the opportunity and seize it but we we meet a lot of high flyers you know like because we cover the news uh, do you like see it as an unprofessional for the journalist to approach the newspaper later for opportunities or this is this like a um a frown thing to do or um what what do you have do you have an opinion on this? I'm sorry, I, I don't get you. Meaning like we go for an assignment and we see somebody there who can actually help us in a business and then we approach them on the side. What do you think about this kind of behaviors? Some journalists re- resort to that, but you know, not all. Well, I, I think if you want to uh, use your context to uh, get a leg up in life, you then you quit the profession. Uh, you don't sell your soul uh, uh, to people uh, while still in the industry. I, I remember I used to uh, have these problems when I was in the, the editor-in-chief of Street Standard. And there were people, uh, I think, who uh, used their contacts in business to promote them, uh, promote their business and get paid for it on uh, uh, 
besides earning a salary from the organization. So that's not right because you are using compromising the integrity of the organization. But if you have contacts who want to help you, you quit the profession and go with them. You know, uh, why not? If they trust you as a source, uh, uh, they, they think that you have been loyal to them. Uh, you know, you they, they want to help you. So I don't see any downside to that. But quit the, the quit your job, quit your uh, your day job. All right, and that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking to Datuk Sri Kalimola Hastan, the chairman of ECM Libra Group Berhad. Thank you very much, Datuk Sri, uh, for joining me today yeah, in this thank, chat. Thank you, thank you very much. And the pleasure is all ours, Datuk Sri. Be sure to join uh, join me next week where I aim to interview another awesome entrepreneur from across the world, from around the world. Thank you. <laughs>